Well, it's the big election day in Georgia. So much of the fate of America seems to be hanging in the balance. What's God's perspective on all this? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So where do we stand today? What's going to happen in Georgia? What's going to happen to the future of America? What's going to happen tomorrow in D.C.? More questions than answers. The good news is God is God. And all of our trust, all of our hope is put in him. The elections, what's happening, all these things are momentous. Yes, momentous. We don't downplay that for a moment. At the same time. We know that God is greater and that our firm foundation is based in him and not the outcome of the elections. Hey, friends, Michael Brown here. Delighted to be with you. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. I cannot tell you in advance who is going to win in Georgia. I can tell you the implications, but you've probably heard that a thousand times over and are well aware. We'll review that briefly. I cannot tell you what's going to happen tomorrow in D.C. with various senators protesting the election results and calling for an emergency audit, although it seems relatively certain that nothing momentous will happen. We don't know. We haven't gotten there yet, but that there won't be a momentous change barring divine intervention. Nancy and I were talking last night in terms of, okay, if God was going to stretch out his hand in such a way for the world to see and know, for America to see and know, let's say there was not election fraud. What would, what would get the attention of America and the attention of the church and would be something where your jaw would drop and you'd say, oh my And some would say, oh, my God. Well, it would be Donald Trump becoming a totally different person. It will be Donald Trump getting up before the nation and saying, I congratulate President-elect Joe Biden on his fair victory. And I apologize for the division and confusion that I've brought. And my desire is to see America blessed. And I want to serve in the best way that I can. Please forgive me. For those who I've hurt, <laughs> that would be like, what? Are you kidding me? Or conversely, if there was election fraud and, and, and President-elect Biden knew all about it, it would be him getting up and saying to the nation, I have to come clean. I can't live like this. We stole the election. I'm not the legitimate president. This is not right. Donald Trump won fair and square and I am stepping down from being president-elect. <laughs> in other words, something massively momentous would have to happen for either side to give in and say, okay, we accept these results. I, I, would you agree? I mean, it's got to be something that heavy, that strong. What else do you think would persuade America to move on accepting the outcome of the elections? 
what else would help Americans move on together with any possibility of at least being a, a nation that wants to stay a nation in the midst of our differences? We've had pitched differences for, for centuries. I mean, you, you look at the, the fight between John Adams, our second president, and Thomas Jefferson, our third president, Jefferson being Adams' vice president. They had been close friends and co-workers and then had a rift that was so deep they didn't communicate for 10 years. You look at the way they fought each other in the campaigns, and you go back to what different ones were saying. And I, I documented this, I believe, in Evangelicals at the Crossroads. But, but you actually had Americans, because of Jefferson's libertarian uh, or, or liberal views on different things and not being an Orthodox Christian, you had many Americans right in our early elections after George Washington saying the fate of the nation is hanging in the balance. And if Jefferson is in, that's the end of America. Now many people are saying the same thing in terms of if the two votes, the senatorial votes in Georgia go the way of the Democrats, 50-50 in the Senate with Kamala Harris passing the deciding vote or casting the deciding vote, and then the House still being in, in, in Democrat hands, although not heavily, and then a Democrat president, who's, where is the moderation that's going to stop a radical leftist agenda? Where's the moderation that's going to stop an agenda that could reshape American ways that fundamentally takes away our liberties? Where is that restraint going to come from? I'm talking about the natural. God can intervene, all right? But, but if we have lost in all of those areas, when I say we, I would mean those who voted for Trump or voted Republican, where is the restraint that's going to stop things? Now, could it be, could it be that a shift to the radical left will so open the eyes of Americans and so get the church on its knees and giving itself afresh to the Great Commission and revival because we cannot look to the government to carry out our desires, be it pro-life, be it religious liberty, the various things that the Democrats are not standing for and standing with us on, all right? And I understand some of you listening vote Democratic, and that's, that's a whole other discussion and debate, all right? But could it be that this is what's needed most and that a shift to the left will awaken the church? Because you know what it's like? You're in a financial crisis, but you always have that credit card. And, and you always have that equity loan you could take out. And you, and, but now the credit cards are maxed, every one of them. And, and you've taken out an equity loan. You have no more equity. And you have nowhere to go. Your friends have already helped you out. And sometimes it's at that point you fall to your knees and say, God, you have to come through. This is through no fault of our own. We had this financial collapse. We're about to lose everything. We can't put food on the table for our kids. God, we need your help. But as long as I got those other options, even if those options put me in a deep hole of debt, sometimes I don't look to the Lord alone. Jacob in Genesis 32 is alone with the Lord. A man, the angel of the Lord, we believe the Son of God incarnate, wrestles with him. And he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. He wouldn't let him go because he couldn't let him go because he felt if I, if I let you go, I'm going to die. My family's going to die. My kids are going to die. Everything we've worked for all these years, it's all going to be gone, lost, period. But he always had a way out. He was always resourceful. Jacob, you know, figure out a way when there is no way and believe God, rely on God, at the same time go the way of the flesh and carnality and deception. 
But now none of that was going to work. Esau is coming his way with 400 men. As far as he knows, Esau is going to kill him. So what's he do? He seeks God like never before. Perhaps to the extent that we had someone friendly to the evangelical cause in the White House, perhaps to the extent that we've had, and again, we saying conservative evangelicals who voted for Trump voted Republican. So we've had Republicans in the, in the Senate. And look, for a little while, it was, it was House, it was, it was uh, Congress, excuse me, Senate and House, right? So that's how Trump started off. That's how Obama, you know, Obama had that for a time in, in, his, in his leadership, where it was all Democrat and all Republican. It could be, though, to the extent that we have looked to man or looked to the government, we failed in our mission and failed to have our trust in the right place. Now, it could also be disaster. It could be absolute disaster. Some of the things that we've warned about for years and years in radical leftist gender and, and the cancel culture and the mobocracy and radical LGBTQ activism and putting those in the closet that dissent and real assault on our religious freedoms and liberties. And then many, many other things happening in our nation that would drive us in the way of socialism more than we've ever imagined we could go. That could well happen. That's a legitimate scenario. That's why many people are deeply concerned. Even those who say, look, politics are corrupt and I don't put my trust in Trump and I don't put my trust in the Republican Party, but we need that balance of powers and we, we need to make sure that Democrats don't have both the House and the Senate. So it's critical that either Purdue or Loeffler win or both win, etc. I understand the mentality. It could get really bad. And I, I do understand where people say that the, the future of our nation is at stake with the vote in Georgia today. I understand that. I, I, I do. I, I get it. I, I think I've been warning about the agenda of the radical left as, as long as, as anyone you've been listening to, especially in, 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 in Christian believing circles, certainly have, certainly recognize it. On the other hand, this could be the path to revival and awakening. And, and here's the deal. I can't control what happens in Georgia today, nor can you. We can pray for the vote to be fairly counted, right? Hopefully everyone can agree on that. May, may there be a fair vote today in Georgia for these candidates, regardless of what your perspective is. May there be a fair and righteous vote. And for the national elections, may, may something big happen, big enough that on Inauguration Day, Everyone recognize this is a legitimate president, whether we like the results or not. Oh, yeah, I understand big tech teamed up against Trump, along with mainstream media. And in that sense, things were rigged, news stories suppressed, other things put forward. I fully, fully, fully understand that. And, and yet, well, it's a, a tangent. I'm going to hold off on that tangent for the moment. Bottom line is this. I, I can't control, you can't control what happens in Georgia today. If you live in Georgia, you vote, that's it, right? We can pray for a righteous outcome. You and I can't control what happens in D.C. tomorrow as the Senate meets for official confirmation of electoral votes, etc. We can't control that. We can control our own relationship with God. We can control our faith attitude before God. 
and we can control the actions that we take on January 6th and 7th and 8th and 9th and 21st after the inauguration and so on. So let's focus on what we can do. And when we come back, I'm, I'm going to do something that maybe the only broadcaster talking about politics today is going to do, which is we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer and pray it specifically for the elections and the outcome. We're going to pray it, especially the opening verses, with specific application to what's happening in America today. And, and what I want to do is encourage you in the midst of the chaos and the craziness and the uncertainty to put your faith in God, who remains our rock no matter what. We'll be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Christine asks on Facebook, why aren't all pastors fighting for the soul of our nation in D.C. right now? Because they're not called to. Because they're not called to because they're called to be right where they are in their cities. And the soul of the nation is not primarily dependent on the elections, it's primarily dependent on the, the, the state of the people. And if, if the church would, would put more emphasis on prayer and fasting, put more emphasis on repentance, put more emphasis on evangelism and discipleship, and then secondarily, focus on these other things, we'd be in a totally different place. Our focus has been way off. It seems all we do is talk about the elections day and night and Trump day and night and Biden day and night and political parties day and night. And as, as big as they are, if we put that energy and effort towards preaching the gospel, winning the loss, setting captives free, praying, fasting for, for awakening and, and, and giving ourselves to that, and then secondarily look at politics, America would be shaken within a year, if, if not much, much shorter than that. And Pollyanna, it sounds like you, you say, it sounds like you don't believe the stealing election really happened. Have you missed the broadcast we've addressed that or the many Facebook posts we've addressed that? My position has been I see strong evidence for it. I see arguments against it, and I don't know. And if you say you know, no, actually you don't. You, you believe strongly based on what you've seen, but you don't know for a fact because you weren't there and when I was there. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I may get to that, Kai. Thanks. Thanks for the, thanks for the reminder. Uh, yeah, and there, I've got friends in D.C. right now at, at, on the streets praying and seeking God. Yeah, right there, right now. Absolutely. But let me, before I get to the Lord's Prayer, I, I want to talk about something really, really important. Feel free to weigh in, interact with me, 866-348-7884. Okay, a couple things. <clears throat> One... It's very difficult right now to completely separate church from state in the sense of the outcome of these elections really is big, really, really big. The implications, massive. Look, the Constitution of the Supreme Court, the people that are in it, that's big. 
So under Trump, we got Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Coney Barrett. That's big. And and under Trump, we got two, three, was it 300 justices appointed in federal courts and, and your lifetime appointees. That's big. That's that's massive in many ways. Just talking about the, the election outcomes. And then what happens in Georgia? Uh, the difference just between... 50-50 or 52-48 or 51-49 in terms of Republicans, Democrats, and Senate, the implications of that are massive. And as I said earlier, I, I get it. I understand it. I've written about it for years in the clearest possible terms that I know how to write and warn in terms of the dangerous agenda of the radical left and how much that is driving the Democrat Party in many ways as people have said, the Democrat Party today is not the Democrat Party that, that was there when Bill Clinton was elected, as many differences as we had then. However, however, in another sense, the gospel goes forth just the same. The church grew and prospered un, under, under Nero's, Caesar's, Caligula's, these, these different tyrannical rulers. And with the official... Christianizing of the Roman Empire under Constantine, where that became the state religion, much good happened in many ways, and, and persecution all but ceased in places where it was happening, and martyrdom in, in, in the Roman Empire be, became in many ways a thing of the past. There was much good that came, but then also much bad that came as the church became more and more institutionalized and to the extent the fate of the church is, is tied in with the fate of the nation, then we can get into an unhealthy nationalism. But it's, it's one of those situations now where, yeah, the vote is important. But then whatever happens, we've got to move on with our priorities. We've got to move on with gospel priorities. We've got to move on with impacting the culture, impacting our local school board, imp impacting the university where our kids go, being witnesses in the workplace, challenging the whole, the big tech, and, and just many, many different things have to be done. And the greatest weapons we have are spiritual. It's not only spiritual. It's not you stay home and pray all day and don't work a job. You stay home and pray all day and don't go out and vote. You stay home and pray all day and let your kids run around uh, on the streets without supervision. No, no. It, it's, it's prayer and spiritual weaponry first and then everything else then get involved in everything else. But often our priorities are, are off. That's one thing. Uh, another thing is the difference between the power of faith and the danger of delusion. And I, I think I'll, I'll write about that today. The difference between the power of faith and the danger of delusion. On the one hand, as some of my good friends remain steadfastly sure that Donald Trump will be inaugurated on January 20th. Okay, that is not my own conviction or belief. But some of my dear friends who feel that way, it's, it's an, a, an amazing faith statement. In other words, some of them have walked with God for so many years, have seen God do the impossible for so many years, have, have watched light come out of darkness and, and seemingly life out of death, you know, resurrection when the thing seemed utterly hopeless. Many of you have lived through that. When all hope was lost, God came through. You know, the famous statement that man's extremity is God's opportunity. 
that it's it's commendable that they feel so sure that God spoke to them and and confirmed it to others that Trump will be inaugurated that as much as it seems completely counterintuitive and utterly ridiculous and in the natural totally impossible under what set of circumstances would the Democrats ever accept that? Would would everyone else that would be involved with inauguration ever accept that? Would would half the nation ever accept it? And and on and on it goes. In the natural, it seems completely and totally and absolutely impossible. And yet, they're people of faith. And they believe God in the face of impossible odds before, as have I, as have many of you. And we've seen God come through. On the flip side, if these things don't happen, it's not my expectation that they will. If they don't happen, then this would not be faith. This would be delusion. And this would then give the appearance to the world that everything that we hold to is delusion. That, that the same way people are saying Trump is going to be inaugurated on January 20th, I know it. They're also saying Jesus rose from the dead. I know it. God is real. I know it. The Bible is true. I know it. It could seem like everything is based on delusion. And rather than this being a great testimony of faith, it will bring terrible reproach to the faith and to everything else that we believe. Uh, Let me give you an example of something, all right? It's going to seem totally off topic for a minute, but then I'm going to come back. It'll make sense, okay? And then we we will pray the Lord's Prayer and, and apply it to today. There are people that really want to reach Jewish people with the gospel, all right? And you'll have some well-meaning Gentile, and the guy looks like he's some ultra-Orthodox rabbi. He's got the beard. He's got the black outfit. He's, he's Gentile, okay? He can't even read Hebrew. He doesn't—you put him in a room with a traditional Jew, within 30 seconds, the traditional Jew would realize you're just putting on the outfit. And people say, well, no, but I want to reach them. I want to reach them. I said, look— you make our faith look bad when you do that. You make it look as if everything about us is just superficial and putting on some costume. You don't help our witness because within 30 seconds of talking to you, a traditional Jew will realize you are not a traditional Jew. You're a Gentile or maybe a nominal Jew putting on an outfit. And it makes our faith in Yeshua as Jewish followers of Jesus look bad. All right? So now do you see the application? That if our great faith, I know, I'm sure the Holy Spirit spoke to me, if that doesn't pan out, then people are going to say, oh, yeah, and the Holy Spirit spoke to you about 10 other things. We're supposed to believe that. We're supposed to believe the Holy Spirit's real. We're supposed, oh, yeah, right. You're a God. Sure, right. We believe that. It will bring tremendous reproach to the faith and a great crisis for others. Again, I'm praying about these very things because God never spoke to me about Trump being reelected or inaugurated. So therefore, I have no assurance or expectation that he will be. All right. I want to minister to those that are going to have a crisis in a couple of weeks. But if it's a testimony of faith, awesome, amazing, glorious, praise God and and how stunning it'll be and, and how I would say to people that believed against anything, it's like, I've got to hand it to you. 
God really spoke at you. I, I, I never had that assurance. I wasn't believing for that. I cast my vote and, and prayed for God's best outcome. But you showed amazing faith. You showed tremendous fortitude. You showed incredible confidence in God when all else seemed against you. The flip side, if things go the way I expect them to go, and it's not Trump inaugurated on January 20th, then this was not faith. This was delusion. And, and we're going to have to help people sort out the difference between faith and delusion. We're going to have to help people sort out, okay, how could you be so sure about something and be so wrong without losing their faith in, in God, their faith in the Scriptures? Okay, we'll be right back. If you've got a comment or call 866-34-TRUTH. We'll go straight to the Scriptures. We come back, then we'll open the phones. Phone lines. With your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the line of fire. 866-348-7884 is number to call. Now, look, I, I have some larger thoughts in terms of the elections as a whole. Something I felt for many, many months that the only one who could defeat Donald Trump was Donald Trump. And if he conducted himself differently, be just as strong, just as tenacious to hold on to the things that those of us who voted for him voted for him to do, but would change in other ways. For example, at the first debate or other opportunities he would have had to unify people around him. I believe he could have won such a crushing victory that wouldn't even try to steal it. Just not even a feasible way for those that are convinced of fraud. So there, you know, the bigger issues. I was interacting with a, a sports commentator the other day, and I, I was taping something for him that was going to air in a leadership conference he was doing, a men's conference. So I said, hey, just for fun, you know, a little sports interaction here. And you know, there was a big game Sunday night, Philadelphia Eagles, Washington Redskins. If the Eagles beat the Redskins and the New York Giants would make it into the playoffs, even with a 6-10 and 10 record, and it looked like Philadelphia intentionally didn't try to win, so people were incensed over it. And this colleague said, yeah, you know, the sports commentator said, yeah, it's, it's true, you know, like what Philadelphia did. He said, but if you want to get in the playoffs, win more than six games. In other words, hey, the Giants put themselves in that situation. Uh, but anyway, it's not, so I, I, did, I did tell this colleague that if he comes on the air with me to talk about spiritual issues, we'll have a little sports debate first. Okay. In all seriousness, though, let's step back and let's pray Matthew 6, beginning verse 9, the Lord's Prayer, which is also found in Luke chapter 11, but most of us are familiar with it in the form it's found in Matthew chapter 6. Let, let's go there, all right? And let's pray this for, oh, Diane, thank you. You sound so religious, Dr. Brown. You have issues. Yeah, my issues are I love Jesus. My issues are I'm absolutely committed to God. My, my issues are that I am all out for the Lord. My issues are that there's no compromise in me when it comes to following him. Yeah, those are the issues I have. 
And Sharon, I'm sorry, Dr. Brown, I think there's time to be passive, a time to fight. Well, how is this being passive? You, you want to fight? You want to take a militia to D.C.? You want to fight? You want to burn down a neighborhood? You want to fight? You want to go marching down your streets with, with guns saying we're for Trump? Count me out of that. Count me out. <clears throat> you want to fight in terms of fighting for righteousness? I'll keep doing that because that's what I've been doing for decades. <clears throat> Just some friendly, honest interaction. You post a comment, you may get a response. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus taught us to pray this. Yeshua said, pray, our Father in heaven, sanctified be your name. So here's where we start. And uh, guys, we'll just leave the text up on the screen for those watching. Here's, Here's where we start. Father, we're asking you right now in America, right now in the midst of this very difficult and divisive time, right now in the midst of these critically important elections, we're asking for your name to be hallowed and sanctified. We're asking through everything that happens for the exaltation of God's name. Lord, that, that America would learn to fear and reverence and honor your name and look to you alone as Savior and King, that the name of Jesus would be a hallowed name, a respected name in our country, and that there would be a holy fear and reverence for you. Bring that to pass through the events of 2020 and through the elections. Bring that to pass. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's, that's, our, that's our prayer. That's our prayer. Lord, right now, while we await the return of your son and the final establishing of his kingdom, we pray for your kingdom to come, Lord. We pray, Lord, for the, the, the advance of your kingdom in the here and now. We pray for the moving forth of your kingdom purposes. And, Lord, for your will to be done in America, for your plan to come to pass, for righteousness to be exalted, for sin to be checked, for revival in the church that would lead to awakening in society, that the people of America would be a God-fearing people who live to do your will, that there would be a dramatic change in the nature of our nation, a turning away from atheism, a turning away from dead traditional religion, a turning away from carnality in the flesh, and a turning to you. Your kingdom come. May your kingdom be advanced. Whatever the outcome of these votes, elections, whoever's inaugurated as our next president or presidents after that, may your kingdom be advanced in our midst. May your will be done. May it be carried out on earth the same way it is carried out in heaven. And Lord, give us this day our daily bread. You know what we need as your people to do your will and to thrive in you and to be your faithful witnesses. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us 
our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, where there's animosity between brother and sister, where there's hatred, where there's anger, where there's strife, where where we are behaving just like the world and not walking in love towards one another. Lord, forgive us as we forgive those that we feel have hurt us and sinned against us. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, in this critical hour, we're asking that you recognize our weakness, that you would see the pressures coming against us, that you'd see the confusion and hurt in your body, and that you would not lead us in the way of temptation, but rather deliver us from evil and deliver us from the evil. And we know, Father, that Satan is plotting and planning to destroy. We know, Father, that Satan wants to wipe out every person on this planet if he can. And we know that he specially targeted your people. And we know his devices, we're not ignorant of them. We know that he's a deceiver and we know that he's a divider. And right now we see great deception in the body and we see great division in the body. We're asking for your deliverance from evil and from the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen. And the additional confession found in many manuscripts for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to James in Turner, Oregon. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, pleasure to speak with you. Um, I've followed you through the years, and I really um, appreciate what you're saying today. Um, I'm coming from a perspective of um, I've, I've actually felt strong, very, very strongly that Trump is the wrong man. And I'm an evangelical, uh, 56 years old, been uh, raised in a Christian family, been a part of the church my whole life, and um, actually studied political science, have a graduate degree in it, mm-hmm. have been very involved and cared about government and politics for a long time, and I'm very conservative, actually. Um, but I feel like the Church's embrace of Trump and defense and just rabid, um, unadulterated fealty to him has been just such a poor witness. Um, I understand people making a hard choice about vote when it comes to voting, but setting aside the individual votes, it's the, um, the, the toxic dialogue and... Um, and uh, just the, the seeking for a political solution to some of our deepest problems. Um, I just say amen to everything you've said today just about. I mean, we disagree a little bit about whether Trump's good for us or bad for us, but, but overall, um, I, I just love, love, love what you're saying, and I'm very close to your heart as far as, you know, what, where you're coming from. Um, I, just, I just feel that this uh, defense of and embrace of Trump is, is close to idolatry, or actually is idolatry for many, not for all. I, I know you support him. I don't consider your support idolatrous. But um, um, I, you know, from a practical perspective on like pro-life issues and other uh, moral issues that are important to Christians, um, I'm, I'm still very pro-life, but from a practical standpoint, we as a church are going to do more for, for the unborn um, by by being a light and a salt and and c- contributing to um, crisis pregnancy centers and things like that and and reaching out and helping helping people to see and hear we can still do that. Uh, Trump's election has changed nothing in terms of 
of abortion in America. It's legal still. It was legal before. It's going to be legal afterwards. Um, so although that's an important issue, I don't think that he's he's helped the cause at yeah, all. So, so let, let um, me just yeah let me, let me yeah. just jump in. Uh, sure. I, I'm 100% with you in terms of the issue is not the vote for Trump. To me, that was a no-brainer in 2020. And ultimately, when it was him versus Hillary, despite my reservations, ultimately a no-brainer there in terms of, of, of where I would vote. But that I, I had Ben Howe on my show who wrote the book The Immoral Majority, and he had, he had been very much in the strong Republican, conservative, evangelical camp and in many ways would still consider himself there but was having real issues with Trump. But on the air, he said, I don't have an issue with someone voting for him. That's not the issue. It's exactly right. what you described, the extraordinary loyalty to the defense of the embracing of even in its very, very worst so that he could do no wrong. I mean, literally, there are Christians who believe Donald Trump more than their pastor and whoever he right. says is no good. They're out. They're bad. Bill Barr, you right. can't trust him. Supreme Court appointees, you can't trust them. You can have a born-again Christian who's got a great track record serving where they serve, but if they don't go along with Trump's agenda, next thing they're crushed and thrown underfoot and cursed, and the and Trump supporters, yeah, they're bad, they're bored. That's very frightening. Yeah, Secretary uh, of State from Georgia is a good example. He's a solid brother. Right, So, but no, he's, he's trashed, his political career completely trashed, and people don't even know the facts. So that's what's very dangerous. As someone who voted for Trump twice, which is all I could do in the elections is vote for him, and who did countless interviews supporting evangelicals who voted for him, I've also warned about these very things. That could be why we don't get four more years of Donald Trump. That could be the very reason why. We'll be right back. Thank you, James. I agree wholeheartedly. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends, in, let's see, less than a half hour. No, no, I'm sorry, a little over a half hour, 430 Eastern Time, I'm going to be back on Ask Dr. Brown on, on YouTube for our weekly YouTube chats. So this is a great time where you can post your questions. You don't have to call in. In fact, we don't take calls then. Post your questions, interact with me in a real-time, back-and-forth way. So that is in a little over 40 minutes on our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, Ask Dear Brown. If you've never joined us for one of these chats, it's a great time. We spend oh, about an hour together, answer a ton of questions. It's fast-moving. So take advantage of that. Tell some friends and join us, 4.30 Eastern Time, Ask Dr. Brown. By the way, one thing that distresses me, and again, I talked about this days past, it distresses me because I want to help people, I want to serve, I want to be a blessing. One thing that distresses me is if after much study, reflection, consideration, I come to a conclusion that's different than some have, they tell me that I'm closed-minded and that I'm ignorant and I need to listen. In other words, if I don't agree with them that I'm closed-minded or, or I, I, I just need to listen and shut up. So when I present evidence to the contrary, they go, I'm not even listening to that. It's like, oh, so hang on. So I'm closed-minded, 
for evaluating all sides of an argument as best as I can and listening to people on all sides of an argument so I can present both sides and then say, now here's why I hold to this, here's why I differ. I'm closed-minded for doing that. But when I present contrary evidence to some of you, I'm not even listening to that. I'm shutting you out. That's being open-minded. That's not the way to grow, friends. That's cult-like behavior. You say, well, I'm, aren't you closed-minded about things in the Bible? No, I'm dogmatic. It's not closed-minded. I'm dogmatic. In other words, I've studied. I've studied some of the issues for decades. I've had my faith challenged and my intellect challenged on every level for decades. And my political views and moral and cultural views for decades. Some faith theological things, especially for decades, cultural things, many, many years, political things, many, many years. And I could debate both sides of the argument and say, here's where I feel the way I feel. So it's not closed-minded. Go ahead and present new evidence. I'll look at it and tell you why I believe it's wrong because I've examined the thing for years and years and years and years. All right? Yeah, go ahead. You, you, you've got evidence why you believe the Bible is not true. Show me. Okay, I'll look at it and, and analyze it fairly and honestly and explain why I dogmatically differ. That's different. I'm not going to even, I'm not going to, okay, fine, we shut out the skeptics, we shut out the mockers, we shut out the, you, you know you shut out? You shut out people like me before I was saved, when I was a mocker. You shut out people like my wife Nancy before she was saved and she was a mocker. And people with honest questions. You know how many people leave our churches because they can't ask questions? Because leaders don't say, great question. Boy, I don't have an answer for that. But I love that question. Let's dig and get an answer together. I have enough confidence in God that I'm willing to put the hard questions out there. I've got a book coming out in May called Has God Failed You? Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God Is Real. And, and we tell people it's fine to ask the hard questions because they're good answers. They're good answers. And Jude, it tells us to have mercy on those who doubt. And sometimes people are very sincere. They're hurt. They have questions. We need to be there to help them. Go ahead and ask your questions. But it distresses me because I, I want to help people. Why do you think I'm doing this? Why am I on the air? All right? I, I don't, I'm not paid to be a radio host. We pay for airtime, okay? I'm, I'm not like Rush Limbaugh or Dennis Prager or one of these other guys that is paid by a company to be on the air, okay? The advertising you hear just makes our bills lower. That's all. This is the, the, the station that puts advertising in, and that makes our bills lower. But I'm paying to be on the air. Why? Well, to sell books. <laughs> if you knew what it cost us to be on the air versus what books we sold on the air, that, that idea would go out the window. No, we're here like other ministries on the air because we want to be a blessing to you, because we want to help you. And, and that means that, that we're going to pray and really seek the Lord and ask him for his perspective and, and, and interact with others and do our best to, to edify you and minister to you on the air. That's why we're here. And, and I want to challenge you to, to allow your, your, your boat to be rocked a little. Here, it, do you have friends that vote differently than you do and they love Jesus? Have you ever sat down and talked about it to each other? You ever done that? I've, I've encouraged pastors with multiracial churches where undoubtedly people have different voting perspectives to have a public discussion and to get some godly articulate people from each side to explain the way they vote. Now, you may come out with your convictions even more dogmatic 
but at least you have understanding for your brother or your sister, or at least be able to treat that person with civility rather than contempt in the midst of differences. And if we're going to be one as a body, it's not because I take over and crush all opposition. Oh, it could well be that Trump court appointees and things going on through legislature will lead to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, Joe Biden said that if he was elected, that he would enshrine it in the states as law. In other words, the Supreme Court can't overturn it because it would just be enshrined as law in, in, in a way that would doesn't matter what the court says about Roe v. Wade. Yes, the, there are massive implications. That's why I voted for Donald Trump. And that's why I voted for Republican candidates in North Carolina, for those reasons, among others. But ultimately, as our last caller said, the way that we're really going to see the change come is not just through legislation, but through hands-on, changing hearts, ministering, reaching out. It's both and change hearts and change laws. All right, let's go to uh, Jonathan in Graston, Massachusetts. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Uh, thanks for taking my car, call, Dr. Brown. Sure thing. Um, so I wanted to just come at this, um, maybe give a little bit different perspective, at least the things that have been you know, running through my uh, mind. And it's, it's really around um, was there fraud or was there not fraud? So, so I'm, a, I'm a scientist. That, that's what I do for a living. I'm, but I'm also a Christian. What kind of scientist? Uh, so I'm a spiritual what kind of scientist? Um, I'm actually a, a pharmaceutical researcher. Ah, okay. We could have talked about the vaccine on another day, but that's another topic. So, yeah, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So so I work in the same area as, for instance, Moderna. I, I, they're right in the same town that I, that I work in near Boston. Um, so, so I'm a scientist, but also a Christian, so I have a spiritual side, but I, I also deal in data and I deal in evidence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what actually draws me to you because you are similar in that regard, and, and a lot of the things that you, your commentary really resonates with me. So, so as scientists, we deal in hypotheses, and then we look at evidence and and say, can it be explained um, by this hypothesis or the other hypothesis? So one hypothesis is that you know there was massive fraud and the elections being stolen by the, by by Trump. The other hypothesis is there was not massive fraud, and the uh, uh, election is actually trying to be stolen by Trump. So those are the two. So there's there's like three groups of, of observations that I cannot explain. Only one hypothesis for me can explain it, and it, it, I feel like they're pretty strong. And, and the observations are, are not the data that you've been talking about as far as looking at, and I can actually give my take on that as well. That's been put forth in the courts. It's just general observations that have come out, you know, you know, since the election. So the big one for me, or the three big ones. One is the, the Department of Justice. So the FBI, uh, the, the CIA, the tar- Department of Homeland Security, and then also Bill Barr have all come out and said there was no fraud. And I think, especially Bill Barr in particular, for me, I mean, the man would have every every reason in the world to say there was fraud, mm-hmm. uh, given his alliance with Trump. All right, so even the if there's suspicion be, about some of the other branches of government, there'd be no reason to think that Bill Barr and Department of Justice would be complicit in that. Okay, second one? The second one, and this one also really resonates, is what's going on with Kemp and Raffensperger. So by all accounts, I mean, they're definitely Republican. By all accounts, they're men of, of faith. And so again, they would have and have been put through 
tremendous pressure and, you know, from what I've seen, their families have been harassed. So it would have every reason and want in the world for Trump to have won in Georgia, yet they are going the other direction on it. And for me, I can't come up with any other explanation for why someone would do that. Right. So they'd have to. There's no problem. Right. They'd have to be deep state paid by China, corrupt, something like that. Otherwise, it makes no sense. And by the way, I'm just jumping in to summarize with my own little comments because we're short on time. So number three. Number three would be, I think, what everyone's seen in the courts, where at all levels in the courts, even up to the Supreme Court, where this evidence, so-called evidence, has been presented, it's all been been thrown out. Um, you know, depending on who you ask, it's you know one out of sixty cases or something like that. Right. But that would mean essentially, if there's widespread fraud, that would mean the Department of Justice, including Bill Barr, Kemp and Raffensperger. And then all judges, including Trump-appointed judges, on all levels of judicial system are in on the fraud, which to me is very far-fetched as a scientist. Yep. So, so the, the alternative to that, sir, is that that's how bad it is. In other words, that's why you have to trust Trump, because he's exposing how deep the deep state is, how corrupt everything is right through the Supreme Court how many people are under the, the, the thumb of China. In other words, that's what some believe. But my logic is where yours is on those as well. I, I still say I can't, I don't know, but I felt confident that if there was fraud, it would flush out in the courts. Thus far, it hasn't. Hey, Jonathan, I appreciate the call. All right, friends, 30 minutes from now, join me back on YouTube. Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown on YouTube in 30 minutes.